This morning we are going to look in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Amazing passage. I've read this passage many times, but I'd never heard it like I did recently. And I ask that as you hear these words, listen carefully to what's going on and visualize it, if you will, in your mind. Mark seven thirty one. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then, spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means, be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Here in this place, glorify Your name. And may we find Your presence with us as we go forward. Heavenly Father, that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in Thy sight. O Lord God, You are our strength, our rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. I went to Oneida, and some folks asked me ahead of time if I was looking forward to it. I said I was looking forward to being unplugged, to not having ability to communicate through wireless technology or cell phones. I was looking forward to just getting some time with God and reflecting and thinking about different things. One of the things that I learned there that I began to take away was a quote from a person who has a bipolar disorder. And he is a football player. Not that that matters, but he said one day a few years ago that it would be a tragedy if I died, not because I was a good football player, but because in my life I was not a shining light, but rather chose to blow out flames. And when I heard those words, I said, I don't want to blow out flames. I want to be a light for God. I want to shine. That people wouldn't see shadow or darkness, but that the fan of flames would bring them brighter rather than blow them away and quench hope, but rather to fulfill the Word of God in their lives. I began to think about that. And as I began to think about that, I began to feel convicted that God had a whole lot more in store 
than what I was allowing Him to do. And I began to pray throughout the week, God, what more is there? What else can I do? What else can we do as a church? What is it that I need to learn here that I can bring back? And I wasn't sure. I do know that when I came back, I felt still the conviction that God was trying to tell me something. And I couldn't understand what it was. All day Friday, just torn up inside. So much so I think it made me nauseous. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But when God begins to wrestle with us, as He did with uh, Jacob at Jabbok Ford, and He touched Jacob's hip and made him limp, Jacob wasn't going to let God go until he found out the blessing God had, and it was kind of in that position that all day Friday I never got an answer. And yesterday, I read these verses in Mark, and all of a sudden I saw something there, and I said, wait a minute. Is it that simple? Is it possibly that simple that when we talk about God as a priority, all we have to do is one simple thing and it changes everything? It's just not that easy. It can't be. But I tried. And it worked. So I tried again and it worked again. And what was interesting, it wasn't what God was doing, is what God was doing in me as I did that. And I'm going to share with you a couple of things about why you might want to do this. First of all, a lot of people throughout the years have asked me as a pastor or as a friend, how do I know if I'm really saved? How do I know if I really love God? How do I know that my heart's in the right place? How do I know that God even hears my prayers? How can I tell if my prayers have power or if I even make a difference? All those questions come, and I want to share with you one simple thing. If any of those questions ever flashed across your mind, you belong to God. And you might say, but, but, but if I'm doubting it, let me share this with you. If you were a non-believer, you could care less whether or not you belong to God. Non-believers don't care about that stuff. They don't care if you love Jesus or if God hears their prayers because they don't believe in God. They don't believe God exists or that He could possibly answer them. But if these things are questions in your heart and on your mind, it means you have a connection there. That God has a conviction in your heart that He's real, that these things are possible. Therefore, your heart is concerned and your mind is tormented because you don't know if you believe. But only the ones who believe does the devil trouble with that thought. Hear that. If God has you, the devil's going to make you think he doesn't. He's going to stir up all sorts of stuff inside of you. Now, that's not the simple thing that I learned. I'm about to tell you that in just a moment. But I want to tell you nobody who doesn't believe in Jesus is worried whether or not they belong to him. Only a believer does. Some people have asked me, oh, that I commit the unpardonable sin. I don't want God to condemn me. If you're still concerned about your relationship with God, you belong to God. Because He's a concern. Nobody who doesn't belong is concerned whether your father loves you. There are a lot of people whose family has disowned them or they've disowned their family. They could care less whether or not their father belongs in their life or not. 
But if you believe that your brother is Jesus Christ and God is your Father and you're concerned if you're part of the family, it's a good call that you are. Just to share that with you to let you know that. But that doesn't answer why our prayers sometimes go unanswered. Some people say, and I think this is a too simple of an answer, we don't have enough faith, or sometimes I hear, well, God does answer. It's yes, no, maybe, or wait a while. Or ask again later. And I don't believe any of those are correct. As a matter of fact, I would stand with Oswald Chambers and a man, if you've heard of, named Smith Wigglesworth. Or another man named Andrew Murray. Or another man, uh, you may have heard of John Wesley, who says that God always answers in the affirmative to His children when they ask correctly. (laughs) Well, maybe we're just not asking right. I share with you this in this text today that Jesus is leaving Tyre and Sidon and and not that it matters in terms of where He's leaving but it's where He's going. And He's going into the Sea of Galilee and on the coasts of the Ten Towns or the Decapolis. And you might say, okay, that's nice to know He's on the Sea of Galilee and and they're about to bring somebody who was deaf but this is not the first time Jesus was there. The first time Jesus was there, they begged Him to leave. You don't remember that, do you? Let me share you the story. There was a man, tormented, lived among the caves, chained and he'd break them. And Jesus came up to him and the man fell down before him and said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What are you doing to torment me? And Jesus had spoken to him and, and asked him his name. And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And then he begged him not to, to destroy them, but rather to let them go into the sea of uh, a herd of pigs that were grazing there. And so Jesus said, Then go. And they went into the pigs, and the pigs ran down and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. My wife knows where that place is, seen it. This is the place where Jesus comes to in our story. But in that place, the man, after he cast out the demons into the pigs, was sitting there in his right mind and it scared everybody because of the power of Christ's healing and His strength. And they didn't know what He was going to do to them. So they asked Him to leave. The only person who didn't ask Him to leave was the man who had been healed and Jesus asked Him to go witness. So this is the place where Jesus comes back. And this time, when they hear He's there, they begin to bring people to Him for healing. even says in verse 32 that they brought to Him someone who was deaf, had a speech impediment, and they asked Him to lay His hands on Him, to heal Him. And this is interesting because this time Jesus did it in a different way. He didn't say, Get out of your sickness. Be gone. Go into some pigs. Instead, He took the man alone. Just Jesus and Him. It's interesting, we were at Onita Baptist this last Wednesday for church, and I looked at a bulletin. They have a kids program on Wednesday night. It's not called KFC, though. It's called JAM. J-A-M. Jesus and Me. So I thought that was pretty neat. So 
they had that program there, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, we as a church are trying to teach our children how to grow up in faith. In every single situation, we're trying to teach them it's about them and Jesus alone. That Jesus makes all the difference. That Jesus and you is enough. That's what it's all about. Well, Jesus leads this man so that there's nobody else around to distract him. And maybe the man was insecure because he was deaf and couldn't speak correctly. And maybe he couldn't speak correctly because he's like my cousin who doesn't speak well because he is deaf. He makes tones and sounds. He thinks he's speaking, but it doesn't come out very well. Very difficult to understand. We don't know if this man had a mouth trouble or he just couldn't speak because he couldn't hear. Either way, they go alone. And this is important. Next Sunday we're going to talk about Sabbath. We need alone time with Jesus. Far away from the crowd and the noise of life to just see what Jesus has for us. What He wants to hear and what we need to hear from Him. To share, to restore and establish that relationship. So he takes them and they're just Jesus and the man. Can you imagine this? Picture this. Jesus and the man are off away from the crowd. Nobody knows what he's doing. But they had brought this man to Jesus and put him in his care. It's a lot different than asking Jesus to leave, isn't it? He's welcome this time. They trust him with someone who they would not trust him with previously to go off alone with this man. Almost sounds scary in today's society. I'm letting my deaf child go off with this man. I'm not sure who is. But they let him go. And Jesus takes him and he puts his fingers into the man's ears. I believe so the man knows what Jesus is about to do because he can't hear him tell him what he's going to do. This man doesn't know who Jesus is. Has never heard about Him. It's some stranger. And he puts his fingers in his ears. Then he spits on his fingers and touches the man's tongue. Trying to let him know that he's touching him in places that he understands where his pain is. And then this is what happens. Jesus looks up to heaven and He sighs. He groans. He has this deep feeling of connection and he realizes that this man is deaf and muted because the enemy has had his way with this man all his life. And when he looks at him, he says, Huh, another one. When are you going to leave these people alone so they can have their life and worship God in spirit and in truth and give joyful noises unto the Lord? When are you going to stop tormenting my children? And he says, here's another one the enemy has taken. And it's another one I'm here to redeem. Another one I'm bringing back from the depth of despair. Another life lost that I must find. Another sheep I've gone to find. And He does it with Him alone. He found the value in the one-to-one connection with this man and said, no Satan here, he's gone. Just me and the man. All things are possible when you're face-to-face with Christ. Amen?
And that's what he realized. And he sighed because he knew the kingdom doors were closed to this man because he couldn't hear the good news. But when he looked up and sighed, hands open like this, after he'd already done what he did with the man, looking up at heaven, he says, Ephatha. Ephatha. Be opened. And a lot of people see this in the King James and other translations say they said it to them that he said it to this man, but he did not. The man was deaf. The man could not hear Jesus. It was not for Jesus' hearing. He was looking up, as Stephen did in Acts, at the kingdom of God and the gates, and he says, Open up. Open up and let your glory and your grace come down to this lost soul and let your healing power flow into this man. Open up, gates of heaven. Let the King of glory come in. Let your healing come out to this man and let him be opened up so that he can enter in. That's why Jesus sighed because He had no entrance. No way to get there. But now, when Jesus said open up, the gates of heaven opened and the kingdom of God came rushing with the power of the Holy Spirit and washed away all iniquity and sickness and created healing in this man's life. He could hear. He could speak. Things he could never do before. Immediately it says, his ears were opened and the string or the thing that stopped his tongue from speaking was free so he could speak plainly. When he took him back to the crowd, he told them not to tell anybody. It was different than the man who had the demons cast out. He said, don't tell anybody. But as soon as he could talk, what do you think he's going to do? Shut up? (laughs) It's our first time. How did you get to talk? Oh, I can't tell you. Are you kidding? The man's able to speak. Do you think he's going to be quiet? He's making up for how many years of not? He's going to listen to birds, to rivers, to everything. He's going to talk. He can say, look what I hear. I hear birds in the air. I hear breezes. I I hear everything. That's pretty neat, isn't it? And the people were amazed at how Jesus could do this and how um, how He could make the deaf to hear and give speech to those who cannot speak. But what they didn't see is how Jesus did it. Jesus, I'm sure, recalled this to His disciples as they watched Him. And I want to share with you something that was a quandary for me for quite some time. I thought I had the answer, but I believe I was mistaken. Do you remember the story of the disciples on, on when Christ was crucified the day He was resurrected? They were walking to Emmaus. A lot of us are familiar with the Emmaus movement based on that walk. And He pours out the Scriptures and, and they still don't know who He is. And He goes into the house. This is near the end of Luke. And He sits down 
to have dinner with them. And it says He was known to them as soon as He broke the bread and blessed it. They understood who He was and He vanished from their eyes. And it says they marveled because they knew who He was by the breaking of bread. And for years I thought, well, it's how He broke it. <laughs> it's how he, how, you know, maybe He had a certain way of passing the bread out. Or maybe He took it like this and broke it. Or maybe He, maybe he just had a funny way of flicking the bread over. I don't... That's what I thought. That it was something to do with the bread. It has nothing to do with how He broke the bread. It's what He did with the bread before He broke it. I'm going to show you in a few minutes exactly how He did it. Or how I understand He did it. But let me share with you a little bit more. In this same Gospel, Mark chapter 6, there were people who were hungry. And all they had were five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus took the food. He looked up to heaven and blessed it. Gave thanks to God and then pass it out plenty enough. <laughs> In Matthew 14, you're going to see a pattern here real quick, folks. It, it's just like, well, wait a minute, when did this happen? This is where He's feeding, again, the 5,000. And He tells them to sit down and they give Him five loaves, two fishes. He looks up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to His disciples. In Luke chapter 9, if you flip as quickly as or want to flip there, you're more than welcome to. In verse 16, Jesus again, talking about the feeding of the 5,000, says, He looked up to heaven, He blessed them, the loaves and the fishes, and broke, and gave it to the disciples, and gave it to the multitude. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to be stoned. And as he's about to be stoned, he's giving witness. And when they heard his witness, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. In verse 55, But Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Or maybe you haven't quite connected it yet. I'll give you one more. There are others. John 11.41 Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead. I always thought He just looked at him and said, Lazarus, come out. But that's not what it says. Somehow or another, I missed this part. It said, um, take the stone away. And Martha said, you know, he's going to stink. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Next verse. They took away the stone, this is John eleven forty one, from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up His eyes. He looked to heaven and said, Father, I thank You that You've heard me. And continued praying while looking to heaven. I want to share with you something that I think is so simple, so profound, but we've learned it backwards. The reason I mentioned the KFC program and JAM is because we teach our children if we're going to pray, we close, we fold our hands or close them or 
and bow our head and shut our eyes tight in reverence to God. Every priest, every minister, every teacher always closes their eyes, bows their head in reverence, because that's the way we were taught. The Jewish rabbis, when they broke the bread, when they sacrificed the meat on the altar, they bowed, eyes closed in reverence. When they had the Passover meals, and they prayed over the Paschal Lamb, and they passed the bread, they bowed and closed their eyes in reverence. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was the only one who broke tradition. Instead of saying, God bless this, He held it up and said, God, bless this bread. Praying, looking to heaven with eyes open, looking at His Father, looking for where He knew He belonged. I've wondered now, ever since I read this yesterday, why do we pray looking down? God isn't down. He's everywhere, but He's in heaven. He indwells the heavens. Why wouldn't we look for Him? When we talk to someone in prayer, don't we want to see someone that we talk to face to face? Wouldn't we want to see Him? Wouldn't we want to do so with our eyes open and say, God, show me where You are. Open up heaven. Do what you're going to do, God. Let me see You. Well, how can I do that if I'm bowed humbly like this when God is saying, lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Psalm 121, I lift up mine eyes under the hills. From where does my help come from? Have you ever prayed looking up? Or even thought of it? On the road to Emmaus, when he sat down, he didn't pray like this, like everyone else. He took the bread. God, I thank You! And broke it. Nobody else did that. Father, thank You! Always in gratitude. Always looking to His Father. Looking, not closing His eyes to the power of God. I thought that's just simple. It's just, you know, just a physical act, but it isn't. I looked up to heaven yesterday and prayed with my arms open. I said, God, open your kingdom. And in a moment, some struggles I was dealing with vanished. And I knew God heard me. I can't explain that. All I can say is it worked. So I tried it again, and it worked again. I tried it this morning. Guess what? God's still consistent. He still heard. Did you ever think that maybe if you were opening your arms to receive and saying, God, open up. I'm ready to receive you. Rather than saying, God, whatever you can land in my hand here or on my head, <laughs> I'm not going to see it happen. I'll tell you a true story. I think I've shared this story, but not the rest of the story. A lady, 75 years old, came up to the altar one day in the church. I was pastor and said, Preacher, I'm out of energy. I don't want to do nothing. I feel sad. Nothing. I'm 75. I think God's calling me home because I'm so tired. And I said, is that what you want? She said, no. 
I said, I don't believe that's what you want either. I think you want God's energy. Let's pray that. Never before in my life have I prayed like this, but I wanted to look. I wanted to look. And I thought I was doing something bad. But as I prayed, I put my hands on her and I looked up. And I said, God, put your spirit on her. And all of a sudden I saw a glow. If my eyes were shut, I wouldn't have seen it. I had no idea that I had to look to see something. But this glow was coming down from heaven, landed right on her. And I said to her, her name was Mabel. I said, Mabel, God's Holy Spirit's falling. I'm watching it. It's falling right on you. This is really cool. He's doing something. She goes, I know, I know, I know. And I'm praying and I'm just saying, God, keep doing whatever you're doing. Get all over her and just do it. When she was done, I didn't have a question whether God did something. I watched it. I saw God do something. And she was smiling, beaming. Next day, she calls me. It was funniest. <laughs> had to be the funniest phone call I'd ever heard. She said, Pastor, you got to tell God to stop. I, I raked my lawn. I mowed it. And I still had a lot of energy, so I went to the next house. I did theirs. And then I went down the next house. The next house. I'm 75 years old, and I mowed five lawns and raked them all, cleaned them all up, and I'm looking for more. And I said, really? She goes, it's not stopping. I got this energy. And I said, ain't it cool? Ain't God good? But I got to watch it because I was looking. So we're closing our eyes not seeing the work of God. And is that not symbolic of our lives? We close our eyes so we don't see what God's doing rather than looking for God to do something and thanking Him as He does it. I think that's what this passage is all about. Get alone with Jesus so you can see Him. Watch Him. Talk to Him. Thank Him. Don't look down. Look up. Isn't that what we say to someone who's discouraged? Lift your head up. (laughs) Well, Jesus knew, didn't He? That's how they knew it was Jesus. At the Emmaus walk. Because He looked up. I'm convinced of that. And this morning, we've called names for prayer. A lot of times we've thinking that maybe maybe God will, maybe God won't. But if what if we say we're going to keep looking up at you, God, and expecting you to do something, we're going to keep looking until you do. Because I know you can, and I know you will, and I know you love me, and I know I love you because I'm concerned that maybe I don't. <laughs> and so this morning. I'm asking you to do something. We're going to have communion this morning and I'll show you how Jesus did it. Or so I picture it. But I'm also asking that in your communion you get some alone time. Just take a few moments, whatever it needs, and look up. And say, open heaven, the gates of heaven to me. There's parts of my life that need your healing. There's parts of my family the need restored. I'm asking you, God, open up to me. Let me in. And when you do, 
you'll find that what's up is what's coming down. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You this day that You've loved us completely. You loved us with a love that doesn't end. And You poured out Your Spirit upon us and I ask You to do it again. And we're about to partake of a communion, Heavenly Father. I ask You to bless the cup and the bread and be for us Your body and blood, Lord Jesus. That we would be the body and blood for this world. That we would partake and receive and find that Your gates are open. And all that we ask for is coming down. All we have to do is look for our source of strength. Amen. This morning as we celebrate...